0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sulcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're brought to you by the letter R and the letter E. Reinsurance. Well, enough said. Results. Now it's QBE's turn under Wendy's microscope. Could they be in red? That sort of works, doesn't it? Repeat, recycle, reuse, the same old gag as we get real, going in-depth on AFCAP. Hello everyone. This week I'm joined by my usual cohorts, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Why aren't you in Monte Carlo? Well,
1: I hope I will be one day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, John. Hi. Do I need to redo the intro? Uh, It was really splendid,
2: Andrew, so stick with it.
0: Oh, very nice. And lastly, good morning to you, Terry. Good morning. What's the longest re-word that you can think of?
3: I think this whole exercise is ridiculous. (laughs) Gotcha. Never could spell.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Right. Well, I'm told that it's the time of year when we start to think about reinsurance, Wendy. What will some of the key discussion points be in Monte Carlo?
1: well i guess the obvious one is pricing and whether that will continue to rise on the on the property side and, and if so by how much and particularly with the impact of inflation there at the moment you know there's also this increasing impact of what they call uh, secondary peril so not cyclones and earthquakes but things like flooding and and um, storms and these haven't received the same amount of attention in the past when it comes to catastro- catastrophe catastrophe modeling the other one uh, to watch out for too is just sort of comments on how much reinsurance capacity is actually Uh, out there and available, whether from traditional sources or alternative capital, whether that's increasing or reducing.
0: I was kind of hoping in that answer you were going to explain to me what on earth is, is at Monte Carlo.
1: They have a big conference there every year uh, where uh, everyone involved in reinsurance gathers. Apparently it's a very upmarket event. They haven't actually held it in person, of course, for the past two years, so this is the the, the big return. Well,
0: presumably our local insurers will be paying close attention to uh, any of these reinsurance trends, Terry?
3: Well, if they can... uh you get the feeling that this is going to be one hell of a party. <laughs> a few years not seeing each other and now face-to-face in Monte Carlo. What fun. Australia is one of the biggest users of reinsurance and, and after the last year, I'm sure will be the cause of, of one or two of the trends we keep talking about. They're certainly shifting to higher layers of protection, raising deductibles, lowering limits, adding exclusions, being more selective, all those things things that you you would expect any uh, insurance or reinsurance operation to do when the going gets tough. And when you look at what they've had to deal with in the last few years, we really should wonder why it took them so long. But I suppose the biggest problem for the reinsurers is is that the cost of capital is rising as we go through a rough period. So the availability of, of capital, as Wendy said, could be a worry if the present trend of, of mega catastrophes continue. Not much to invest in a present that that's not volatile. So really, that's something that's saving us, is reinsurance rates are rising. So investors can at least look at us, ignore the the fact that inflation and even talk of recession hurts. So we should be able to take some comfort, for, I guess, from the fact that most of the reinsurers investors are, are big organisations and institutions like pension funds, which work on long-term programs. But, yeah, it's going to be a bit fraught and a bit expensive for the next few years, I suspect.
0: Well, talking about expensive, we talked about Suncorp last week, Wendy. Now QBE and IAG have reported results as well. It seems they're all saying the same thing. Make this podcast daily. They're also saying it's a tough (laughs) environment, but we're on (laughs) track.
1: Yeah, I mean, their, their financials have been affected by quite a change in the economic environment, you know, with the supply chain issues affecting costs and inflation and higher interest rates. And, you know, all these companies in the past year have increased natural catastrophe allowances. But they're also, um, they're all putting through um, significant uh, premium rate increases and uh, are pointing to improvements in the operation of their, their businesses. So, you know, IAG's Nick Hawkins says they have a good handle on the situation and uh, QBE's Andrew Horton says the company is showing positive momentum Uh, and they certainly all very much wanted to talk about those um, rising premiums.
0: On that, they're all talking about fairly significant premium rises, John. Those consumer advocacy groups aren't going to like that. Well, no,
2: nor are the insured customers. So QBE has been talking about 8% rises across the board, IAG up to 11% in home and motor, and Suncorp apparently talking about 15% rises in in home insurance. So, yeah, they're they're fairly chunky figures, and uh, it's not great for consumers who are having to handle cost of living rises and homeowners having to contend with those sharply increasing interest rates too. But, you know, this is how insurance works. The, the number of claims is high at the moment after all those catastrophes. The cost of claims is going up due to the inflationary pressures in building materials and so on. So for insurance to work, the, the premiums have to go up too. And, and, and I guess if people want to insure their assets, that's just what they have to live with at the moment. You can only hope that when those pressures ease, if they ease, the premiums come down as, as quickly as they've gone up.
0: that's not as much as I would be expecting considering what's happening with inflation generally, and especially compared to the the increases I'm getting in my mortgage. Terry, are those numbers realistic?
3: Well, when you look at what we've done over the last few years, I mean, there there has been a gradual rise happening over the past few years. And certainly now, I I think we're, we're just getting up to an accurate, really getting very accurate on pricing risk correctly. And I think you know it might be eight percent this year, but what's it going to be next year? John was talking about the you know the the fact that we we tend to our premiums tend to go up and down with the swings and roundabouts. But the the fact is that it's it's quite possible, from the way these guys are talking at the moment, that they want to hold on to these premium rises. They don't want to climb onto the, the competition boat as much as they used to. I think they they are going to try and make insurance the value it should be i'm
0: going to snip that quote in the time that you said that and uh bring that back up in three to five years time maybe
3: (laughs) fair enough i i don't have a lot of faith in in the discipline in a a, uh, competitive market that's for sure
0: well we and we all know i mean you wendy listen to AFCA's latest member forums what are the main concerns
1: Well, we did actually get um, an update from the code compliance figure at this uh, forum and um, there'd been a 70% jump in self-reported significant breaches of the general insurance code. To more than 200, um, and that, that's been attributed to reviews of pricing that um, ASIC, ASIC really put in train after finding that discounts being promised to c- consumers weren't actually getting um, passed on. AFCA also released some details of small business complaints, and you know, amongst those, commercial properties one of the top five products complained about um, from that group. Some AFCA figures in the broker last week, too. Well, we did because Africa hadn't actually gone down to a lot of detail previously um, about um, brokers, but they've uh, they confirmed that. Um, The number of complaints against general insurance brokers dropped to um, 251 last financial year compared to 425 the previous one. And, you know, most of the uh, uh, broker complaints concern small business policies rather than domestic. But it's not really clear what's behind the change, although, you know, COVID effects and changes to business practices, you know, could have been an influence.
0: When you're scanning AFCA determinations, John, do you see many relating to brokers? No,
2: no, we don't. I mean, as, as you say, we keep a close eye on those determinations coming in. And um, what, what we see is reflective of what the, the figures say, which is that the vast majority of general insurance complaints are about insurers rather than brokers. You have to actually look pretty hard to find a complaint that's gone all the way to a determination against a broker. They do pop up. Usually the determination finds in favour of the broker. But there are some some issues that that crop up repeatedly, which AFCA's flagged in the past about brokers not keeping proper records. So even when AFCA finds in favour of the broker, quite often they'll just give a little slap on the wrist to the broker and say, well, There weren't proper written records of this,
0: uh, so do better next time. (laughs) And Wendy, ASIC say it's looking at license holder breach reporting obligations. What can we expect to change there?
1: Well, they introduced new rules for this for reporting significant or likely significant breaches of uh, licensee obligations last October. But ASIC says there's been some uh, what they termed implementation challenges. So it's looking to improve how the uh, system works, which might be improvements to, to the way they're reported or more practical guidance. It's not really yet clear. Um, But separate to that also, um, ASIC will be releasing a report each year under this new regime on what's been reported. And the first one this October will be fairly high level in general. But it sounds like they're looking to be more specific about who's reported and what's being reported, and there's going to be some more consultation on that.
0: Keeping up with compliance obligations must be a bit of a minefield for licence holders, Terry. Was it always this way?
3: No, not really, in a regulatory sense at least. I mean, brokers used to have it pretty good. But then along came the Financial Services Reform Act in 2001 and all that changed. Brokers were forced to spend considerably more time getting qualified and telling the regulator what they were doing. They were tense and fraught days, Andrew. All financial services intermediaries were forced into the same set of rules and everybody felt that wouldn't work. You know, look, it didn't really very well. That was really the catalyst for the formation of authorised representative groups because centralising all the brokers growing regulatory burdens under one licence was in many ways the only practical way for smaller brokerages to go. But I, I guess I should also make the point that, that Australia's insurance brokers are a much more professional and knowledgeable bunch than they were 20 years ago anyway. And I think that's as a direct result of being forced to be.
0: And finally, John, Aon has put some advice out about how to handle call centre staff.
2: Yes, that's right. So as we know, there's there's a there's a lot of pressure on finding staff at the moment with employment very high and competition very high when mm-hmm. when vacancies are advertised. But call centres are particularly tough because people tend to leave quite a lot at the best of times. So the average tenure, Aon says, for a call centre member of staff is only 22 months. But they've put out some tips as to ha- how to avoid these high rates of churn and how to attract mm-hmm. The best types of staff you know the reason they they do leave so often is just because it's a really stressful job you know callers are often quite grumpy when they get through and that that takes a toll on the member of staff that's having to deal with that they're also made to work at very high speeds uh, apparently in these call centers sometimes they've got a big screen which is sort of showing the best and the worst performing members of staff for all to see so there's also a risk of injury uh, you know actually talking all day long can cause problems with your voice and um, you know it's quite repetitive so you get those back and neck issues as well so yeah Aon, Aon talks about how to tackle some of these issues and create a resilient workforce that isn't going to leave after uh, uh, after just a few months.
0: Well, after COVID, some predicted the death of the call center, Terry, but uh, clearly it hasn't happened. Will insurers always need
3: them? Probably, you know, my my views are a little bit colored by the fact that I've just experienced a four-day drama with my bank went and my credit card details were skimmed. (laughs) What organizations try to do is save money by forcing you into an electronic pathway where a something a robot tells you, you know, talks to you. I'd love to see something that allows us to solve problems without frustration and preferably with a human who can at least tell you what the hell is going on. I think as long as customers demand at least some degree of human contact, even if it's only to to sort out their insurance issues that have been made worse by technology, the call center will be with us. So yeah, I I think we always are going to need call centers
0: so the Amy woman stays then
3: ah isn't she gorgeous Amy she's been around for 35 40 years that girl and she hasn't aged a year it's
0: miraculous maybe she is actually an AI robot and sentient too
3: (laughs) oh don't say that
0: (laughs) well that brings us to the end of this week's insight podcast by insurance news thank you once again to our panel john deeks wendy pew and terry McMullen. enjoy your week and thank you all for listening If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.